Amen. So we're we're still in First Thessalonians, and um, and really it can be broken down into three parts. I mentioned this last week a little bit, um, and it ha- kind of has a map. If you have the map, you can understand where you're going, right? How many know? Remember old school before you had your GPS on your phone, you pull out a map, right? A few of you people are shaking. Yeah, know what I'm talking about. Um, and so this has a theme, and the theme is, that's brought up in this book is in Col- uh, uh, Colossians as well as Corinthians, and that is this, and you've heard me talk about it. it. The theme is faith, love, and hope. Everyone say faith, love, hope. And again, I said this last week, I believe that these are the three markers of a mature and thriving church. There should be faith. There shall be love, and there should be hope involved. And so faith in God and loving God and and one another and hoping for uh, eternal, the eternal hope of heaven. How many are excited about heaven? All right, a few of you are. More people are excited about heaven than they had a good week, so that's good. Um, But the first, and the way that this book can be kind of broke down is the first three chapters, Paul deals with the Thessalonians regarding their past faith. Now, how long was Paul in Thessalonica? Three weeks. He was there three weeks to teach them. So he established this church. The scripture says in in Acts chapter 17 that he was there three Sabbaths. So in three weeks, he got got in there, got to the nitty-gritty, gave them the gospel, started a church. He was ran out of town because he was preaching Jesus Christ. And while he was preaching Jesus Christ, that he was the king of kings, some of the, the people there in Macedonia began to declare that he was trying to cause an insurrection in Rome and that Caesar was king and that Jesus was not king. And so they, they ran him out of town. As a matter of fact, they chased him around Greece for a while, causing a lot of uh, issues and consternation with him. So, um, so Paul, he gives them, the Thess- Thessalonians, accolades on how well they were doing through persecution and how they kept their faith through it all. How many could say, hey, I've been through some stuff, Pastor, and I've kept the faith? All right, good. Um, even, even in the short time that he was there, the three weeks Paul had preached Jesus Christ to them, and they were doing well. How many know that when Jesus gets a hold of your heart, things will turn around? Amen. And so, uh, and so in chapter 4, he moves to, uh, so chapters 1 through 3, he deals with, their faith and deals with the past and how they've done and how their faith has brought them to there. And so in chapter 4, he moves to their present, and he talks on the subject, their love for one another. Sound familiar? Anybody ever heard a sermon about that here recently? <clears throat> Sunday, all right? Sunday, we, we talked about it. their love for one another. Uh, I didn't plan this. It just is the way it happened. And so then he deals with the importance of, while talking about loving one another, he deals with the importance of living a holy life. And it's going to escalate really fast when we get to that, that point, dealing specifically with sexual immorality, uh, which was actually um, celebrated in their culture and their time. And he explains how loving God and one another is not to be taken lightly but with purity of heart. And so and then the last thing in this book, the roadmap, is the last six verses of chapter 4 and chapter 5 
deal with the rapture of the church and the hope of every Christian going to heaven, okay? And so what we're going to do tonight is we're going we're gonna to focus on, on the end of uh, remembering their faith and moving to the present of loving one another, okay? So we'll start at chapter 3. So remembering their faith continued. Remember chap, uh, chapters 1 and 2, he's doing that. So here in chapter 3, he's going to continue to give them some some attaboys because they've, they've done great. So it says this, verse 1, chapter 3. Therefore, when we could bear it no longer, we were willing to be left behind at Athens alone. So after being driven out of Thessalonica, after three weeks, Paul and Timothy went to Berea. And, and they are, there they taught. They taught the Bereans. And Bereans actually means they were, they were good students. And, uh, but the same people that were in Thessalonica that chased them out of town met them in Berea and chased them out of town with stones. Anybody been chased out of, out of town and st- with stones lately? All right, didn't think so. How many are glad that we live in a free country? Amen. Verse, verse 2 says this, And we sent Timothy, our brother. Now, the King James calls him Timotheus, actually. If you have a King James version, it says Timotheus. And I guess uh, if while you're in Greece, you add Theus to the back of your name to make you fit in a little bit better. So, Timotheus. Um, and he says this, hey, we made it to Athens, but we couldn't wait to see how you were doing. So Paul, after being ran out of town, is in Berean, and then he goes to Athens. And while he's there, he is so concerned about how the Thessalonians are doing. Um, anybody in here as a parent or a grandparent, maybe give advice to your kids. And then a day later, you want to check on them to see how they're doing. Anybody know what I'm talking about? And so he is he is he's wanting to know what's going on. So and so he sends uh, our brother Timothy to find out. So he he's he's sending Timothy there. And it says this, and God's co-worker in the gospel of Christ to establish and exhort you in your faith in the gospel of Christ to establish uh, and exhort you in the faith. I don't know if that's doubled in there or what, but is that what it says up there? I'm sorry. Um, Timothy was not only a brother but a minister or a co-worker. So Paul, even though he was the apostle, he was the leader, Timothy was a dear brother, was a dear friend to him. He was a co-worker or a minister, and it actually translates to this word, servant. One of the, one of the great things about Timothy is he was a servant. Matter of fact, a lot of Paul, what he did, Timothy is there behind the scenes doing a lot of these things, going back and preaching um, and, and doing things for Paul. And as a minister of the gospel, Timothy was not one who needed to be served, but one who served. Boy, and you could tell where you're at in your walk with God if you are one that needs to be served or one that is serving, all right? Um, and so I'm reminded um, one time when I was the uh, district youth director, I woke up early uh, one, one morning at camp, and I was supposed to take someone to the airport, and the sun was rising. And when I got up early, I went outside. All the students and everybody was asleep. Matter of fact, they would probably just went to sleep maybe a couple hours earlier than that. And I walked out, and it was quiet. And there was a lady, a worker at the camp who was outside at the, at the break of dawn, and she was sitting there um, 
walking around with no one looking around, and nobody knew she was out there. She was walking around the quad, picking up trash quietly in the morning. Nobody saw her. I don't even think she knew that I was even out there watching her until I got in my car. And I begin to think about that. Um, she didn't get any accolades from me that day, but when she gets to heaven, she'll be rewarded for her ser- being a servant at that moment. Is that something that we needed at camp? Absolutely. What you do in church matters. You say, I serve in a very small capacity. What you do matters, and it matters to people. And so it says this. Um, uh, in Galatians 6, 9, it says, And let us not grow weary of doing good, for in due season we will reap if we do not give up. I love that scripture. How many love that scripture? I had a phone call with a, a pastor friend just right before church. He called me, and we were talking about um, where he was at in his church, and um, he was telling me about a season that he was in a few years back. And the season that he was in, he said, I, was, I had my back against the wall and in ministry. I, I was pastoring. I was struggling. I had people that were talking behind my back. I had all these things. He said, I was ready to quit. I was ready to throw in the towel. And he said, it is as if God just spoke to me one day. And God told me, you know, and this is his story. God told me to pastor the people that I have. Just pastor the people that I have. And he said, I began to take those steps, and then the pandemic hit. And then I got, <laughs> you know, was a little discouraged how that was going to be. But he was telling me to, to say this, that, hey, because the Holy Spirit spoke to me and I stuck it out, guess what? I am in a much better place now, and God is doing a new thing, and God is bringing in the right people. So it's important that we serve. And how many some know that sometimes we can get weary when we serve? There's just, it just happens. Um, but here's what you need to know. Like the lady at camp that's picking up trash in the quad, she wasn't doing it for man's applause. She was doing it because she loved the Lord. Just plain and simple. And so when you do serve, don't do it for men's applause. Don't do it because the pastor says, oh, great job. Don't do it because whatever reason, do it because for an audience of one. And do it with all your might. And, and so Timothy, he was a true minister and a servant. He was a team player. Oh, I like that about Timothy. It wasn't just about him. He was a servant. Hey, Paul, how can I help you? What can I do for you? Um, how, how can I help? And here's what happens. When we're team players, it links us to the body of Christ through submission and humility. God moves through those two things, submission and humility. I could tell you if you have a gift and you're humble about your gift and you're submissive about your gift to the Lord, he will elevate you in due time. You don't have to go around touting your gift. That's just the way that God works. Look at this. Verse 3 says this, that no one be moved by these afflictions for you yourselves know that we are destined for this. Verse 4, for when we were with you, we kept telling you beforehand that we were to suffer affliction just as it has come to pass and just as you know. So Paul, knowing the people that were chasing them out of Thessalonica, he's, he's, he warned them. He told the people there that we're going to face affliction, and you're going to face affliction. And how many know that difficulties and afflictions are to be expected in this life? 
It's what Paul says. It's, it's going to happen. And Paul warns us, and Paul is being chased around Greece with people throwing rocks at him, trying to destroy him. That's some affliction right there. And so um, uh, appointments with troubles are already on the calendar. Do you hear what I said? Appointments with, with struggles and troubles are already on your calendar. You're going to face some times and some struggles. It's all part of the program. That's what Paul is saying. And, and how many remember the story where the Lord told Ananias to welcome Paul? Remember when, when Paul was going down the Damascus Road and God blinded him? And then he's like, he told, he told Paul, go to Ananias' house, the guy he was going to th- go and persecute. So he's there, and, and God, the Lord told Ananias to welcome Paul, for I am going to show him. Look at this. It says this in Acts chapter 9, verse 16. And I am going to show him he must suffer greatly for the sake of the kingdom. Now, that's probably throwing off some of you, some of your theology. God will put you through some things. And I, I'm going to explain something here in a, in a minute. Paul wrote this in 2 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 4. Uh, Who comforts us in all our affliction, all of our affliction, so that we may be able to comfort those who are in any affliction with the comfort with which we ourselves are comforted by God. So this. Trials not only allow us to comfort others, but they purify our faith. So, oh, I don't like that, Pastor. I don't like to have to go through things. Let me tell you something. When you're going through trials, God is purifying you. He is helping you. 1 Peter 4.12 says this. Beloved, do not be surprised at the fiery trial when it comes upon you. This is Peter, not Paul. Peter's saying this, hey, you're going to face some trials. You're going to face some situation when it comes upon you to test you as though something strange were happening to you. So what happens in a fiery, fiery trial? God shows up. Ask Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. It gives you the opportunity to trust in the one true God. Here's another, here's another quote uh, out of the scripture. James 1, 2 says, that James says, count it all joy when we fall into trials. That's a lot of people telling you, hey, get ready. You're going to face some trials. You say this, woohoo, a trial. This is wonderful, pastor. I love it. I love, I love this feeling. And you say, are, are you crazy? Well, I might be a little bit crazy, but, but not really because here's the thing. If you have the mindset that Peter had, if you have the mindset that Paul had, if you have the mindset that James had, God will show up and blow your socks off and show you how mighty he is. It's amazing. See, I, I've, learned, I've learned trials don't make us or break us. They reveal what's inside of us. Let me give you an example. Uh, sometimes I'm in a hurry leaving the house. And when I leave the house, I, I fill up my, my coffee cup. And when I don't have my, like, tumbler coffee cup with the lid, sometimes I put it in just a plastic cup. Anybody know what I'm talking about? And when I do that, I, when I make a cup of coffee, I don't make a half a cup of coffee. I make a full cup of coffee. How many know what I'm talking about? 
And I drink, I'm different than everybody, I drink cold coffee, not, not warm coffee. Some of you are like, oh, that's, well, it has more caffeine. That's why I drink it. So I, I fill my cup up, and when I get in my car and I put my cup down in the cup holder and I turn out my driveway, and if I hit my brakes, and it's happened to me 10 to 12 times, my cup runneth over. And I've got coffee in my, my cup holder, and I've got coffee all over my, the front of my truck. And I'm like, man, and I'm frustrated. But you know what? The bump didn't cause the coffee to spill. It just revealed what was inside the cup. And the same thing happens within us. When we go through a trial and you're angry or you're upset or you're bitter, and what's coming out of you, the, the trial didn't cause it, but guess what? It just revealed what was already going on inside of you. How many know what I'm talking about? I love that. And, 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 and we may be like this. Hey, I'm angry because they did this or, or he said that. And let me tell you something. The anger was already in there. The, tr- the trial just revealed it. I say, hey, Lord, help me with this. The only way we can really know what is going on inside of us is this. Bumpy, discouraging, heartbreaking times, they always reveal our heart. It says this, verse 5. For this reason, when I could bear it no longer, I sent to learn about your faith. So Paul's kind of like a little kid. He's like, I need to know how the Thessalonians are doing. I need to know how the Thessalonians are doing. And so he said, I sent to learn about your faith for fear that somehow the tempter had tempted you and our labor would have been in vain. So he's just wanting to make sure he's checking on his kids. That's really what he's doing. Um, And here's the deal. Paul couldn't get on Facebook and find out how the Thessalonians were doing. He couldn't get on the Internet and look up their web page of their church. No, he, he had to do it the old-fashioned way. He had to go send somebody. So the second part of this chapter right here it is, is Timothy gives this encouraging report, and Paul's talking about it, so about the Thessalonians. He says this, but now that Timothy has come to us from you, so Timothy went to Thessalonica, got the report, and brought it back to Paul. He has brought us the good news of your faith and love and reported that, you're, that you always remembered us kindly and long to see us as we long to see you. Verse 7, for this reason, brothers, this can be brothers and sisters, in all our distress and affliction, we have been comforted about you through your faith. Everyone say, through your faith. For now we live if you are standing fast in the Lord. Now, John would say it like this. He said, the greatest joy I could have is to hear someone to whom I ministered walking in truth. All right? I don't know who that is, but we'll, we'll get it answered, right? And, and, and he would say that in, in John 3. Uh, uh, and so he would say that. So, but Paul, Paul was of the same heart as John. He is checking on his kids. He didn't just start a church, walk away, and not think about that church. He is concerned about, because remember, he wasn't with them very long, and they were what we would call infants in, as Christians. They were, they were very young. They, they didn't know everything. So and he would say this, even though we're going through persecution, he writes, they are worth it to see all of you Thessalonians doing well. 
does my heart good to see you guys doing well. Verse 9 says this, for what thanksgiving can we return to God for you for all the joy that we feel for your sake before our God? So check this out. I'm convinced that the reason Paul was able to go through trials and to remain in ministry is, is because he truly loved and cared about others more than he did himself. I'm, I'm convinced that when, when I read the stories of Paul, he's always putting other people's need in front of his own. Hey, I'm praying for you guys. He's in prison, but hey, I'm praying for you guys. I'm writing you this encouraging letter. I love you. I care about you. He was not concerned about himself or his own, but he loved others. So truly we see him time and time again doing this simple thing, loving his neighbor. He's really acting it out. He is, he is showing it in his action, putting their interest before his as well as praying for them. And they were indeed kids in the faith. I, I talked to a, a pastor friend recently, and we were talking about when I was a youth pastor. And there are some kids that are in our youth group who are doing some amazing things. And, and we were talking about it. I said, you know, I'm amazed because this kid's a pastor, and he was a punk when, we, when he was in youth group, and I can't believe he's a pastor now. And this kid's doing this, and that guy was a punk too, and God's using him in a mighty way. You know, and I, as the, the older I get and, and the longer I've been in ministry, and I, I see people that have started and I've seen them grown, it, it does my heart good when I see them. I'm like, man, look at God go through them. It's amazing. What great joy. So I, I, can't, I, can, I can relate to Paul. I can understand that. So verse 10 says, as we pray most earnestly night and day that we may see you face to face. Um, when I think about Paul, he probably had some sleepless nights at times in prison. But I think, and this is amazing to me, I think while he was in prison and he maybe had those sleepless nights, can you just picture him there just praying for the people that he's writing letters to, these churches, calling out their names, loving on them. How many have ever had a sleepless night? Everybody raise your hand. Come on. Everybody's had a sleepless night in the house. And maybe instead of watching a mindless TV show in the middle of the night, maybe you ought to just pray. It's, it's, it, I, hey, hey, it, that, it, that, is a, that is a great thing for us to practice. I know there are moments where, where, where people have, have been praying for, a situ- for someone and, and, and their need be met. This is amazing. So I was preaching, well, I was doing worship at a camp, and my friend was preaching this camp. And we, after the night service, we decided to get off campus to go eat something that was a little bit better than camp food. How many know what I'm talking about? Camp food is not the best, all right? So we, we decided to leave after church and after the altar we got in the car, and we were leaving, and, and this was in the middle of Oklahoma. And while we're driving down this, this, this four-lane road, you know, kind of like 37, two on this side, two coming this way. We're just driving away. Everything's good. And all of a sudden, there is a car coming directly at us on our side of the road. And I'm like, what is going on? Now, now they were a good distance down the road. And, and then I'm like, well, you know, and my friend's driving. And so he pulls over just a little bit. We're trying to see what this. And finally this guy's coming along. And then he, like, turns and he goes through the median and gets on the right side of the road. Probably a little intoxicated if I'm a guessing person. And, and I remember, I remember that night we were like, man, that was crazy. 
that could have been that could have been detrimental to us. Well, the next day, the guy that was speaking this camp, his his father called him and he said, "Where were you at this time last night?" And he said, "Well, we were going to go get something to eat at that specific time." He said, "God told me this just pray for you right there at that moment that that the devil was trying to take you out." So, so there, it's important that we pray when we when we have those needs. We pray for others. Amen. You, you, I know I sound like a broken record, but listen, pray for others. You never know. Have, have you ever? Has anyone ever told you, "Hey, I was praying for you at this specific time," and you're like, "Man, I needed that at that moment." You didn't know that I needed that at that moment. Be be sensitive to the spirit of God. So. Um, uh, so anyway, so Paul only knew them for three weeks, but somehow the Holy Spirit had linked their hearts together. And I love that. And he says this, and supply what is lacking in your faith. So Paul knows that they're young Christians. And how many would be honest today and say, hey, there's areas where I'm lacking in my faith. As though Paul had given them a lot of great attaboys and good job saints, there are still areas where I'm growing and where you're growing, and we need help. And I love that because Paul, he's, he's, Paul's saying this, hey, I'm going to give you encouragement. I'm going to continue to give you guidance. Listen, you guys, are, you're coming along, we, and we all have areas that need improvement in our spiritual walk, every one of us. Verse 11 says this. It says, now uh, may our God and Father himself and our Lord Jesus direct your way to uh, our way to you, and may the Lord make you increase and abound in, everyone say it, love for one another and for all as we do for you. So right here in the middle of this epistle here that Paul is writing, um, right here at the end of chapter 3 is a prayer. I told you, there's a prayer at the beginning of this book. This is the prayer in the middle of the book, and then there's a prayer at the end, end of this book. And so this is the, the, the middle center here, and he is, in the middle of this book, he is praying for others. He says, help us to increase and abound in love for one another and for all. What a prayer. You ought to write that down. You ought to put that on your fridge. You ought to write that on your forehead so you could see it when you get up in the morning. Lord, let love abound for others. Paul says, hey, I'm grateful for what is happening in your life, but there's more. Keep searching. Keep going. So look at this. So he says that small little prayer. And then we, uh, 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 matter of fact, Jeremiah 48, 11 says this. Moab, Moab has been at ease from his youth and has settled on his dregs. He has not been emptied from vessel to vessel, nor has he gone into exile. So his taste remains in him. And his scent is not changed. You say, what does that mean, Pastor? Why did you just read this verse out of Jeremiah that talks about Moab? Well, I'm glad you asked because I'm going to go there anyways. Well, during Jeremiah's time, and, and you got to understand, they, when they made wine, they would crush grapes. And they would put them in a container. And they would smash those grapes. 
And, and has anybody ever seen seen anybody ever make wine like? And so they crush the grapes. And sometimes they 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 smash them with their feet. I don't know why anyone would ever drink want to drink wine after somebody's feet been on some grapes. But but anyways, and so they would smash these grapes, and out of that they would take this wine and they would pour it into another container. They would let that container sit. And the dregs would fall out of that wine. Then they would take that container after a limited amount of time, and they would pour it into another container. And then they would let the dregs go out. And they would, they would sift that out six times. They would go through that process to purify that wine, to make it right. I don't know anything about wine to make the notes right. Because if the dregs were left in that wine, it would ruin it. It would take on the taste of the dregs. So when we say this, I mean, we, we, and here's the thing. I don't know about you. Most of us could say this. I'll say this just because it's just me. I hate being poured out. I don't like that process. Here's what happens. This is me. I'm poured out. There I am. Lord, I'm comfortable here. I like this. God's like, nope. All right, I can deal with this. This is all right. Nope. And God is slowly purifying me as I walk this journey each and every day. There's another word that we use for this. It's called sanctification. That God is pulling the dregs out of our lives. And we say this. This is our, this is our saying. Pour me. P-O-O-R-M-E. When we should be saying, pour me, Lord. P-O-U-R. Pour me out, God. Get the things that don't belong in me and get them out of my life. Help me to be holy and help me to do what is right. Help me to be pure. Purify me so I can increase and abound in love. That's why That's why we need to be poured out so we can abound in love. Look at this, verse 13. So that he may establish your hearts blameless in holiness before our God and Father at the coming of our Lord Jesus with all his saints. So regardless of the cost, Paul says, hey, I want you to abound and increase in love so that you'll be ready for eternity. So Paul links the first part of this book, chapters 1 through 3, speaking of their past faith. And he, here he's moving to the present, um, from their past faith to their present love for one another. Everyone look at your neighbor say, let's love one another. Uh, some of you need to say it with a little more gusto in your heart. Now, I want you to do something here. We're going to move to this part of this book. And this is, this is, is going to be a, this is going to be challenging, I think, for some of us and for all of us. Paul's pretty pointed in this chapter. And I don't want you to get mad at me. Okay? I want, I want you to just say, hey, God, help me to understand this. So uh, look at this. So loving in the present. This is part, part two here. Verse four says, finally then, brothers, we ask you to urge you. Uh, uh, we ask and urge you in the Lord Jesus that as you receive from us how you ought to walk and to please God just as you are doing, that you do so more and more. So the church is doing well. This is what he's saying. Hey, the church is doing well. Be better. Do better. Amen. If there's something that I can say, I feel like our church is doing well. Guess what? Let's be better. 
Amen. I, I love this. Get, keep maturing in your faith. Keep growing in your faith. It's not a time to put on cruise control. It's a time to keep digging to get better, to get closer to the Lord. And Paul was a preacher. He says, finally here, he's kind of like me on a Sunday morning, finally. And then he goes on and he, and he keeps going a whole other chapter. So that is guaranteed that he is a preacher. So he just keeps going and going and going. He's like the Energizer Bunny, right? Just give me 10 more minutes. That's what every pastor says, right? So, but look, he's, buckle up. But because Paul is going to show us how to love our brothers and sisters by living in purity. Now, oh, some of you are like, oh, I haven't heard that in a long time. Well, guess what? You're going to hear it tonight. Um, holiness or being set apart. I talked about that, the the. The dragging process of making wine, holiness, being set apart, being poured out. It's, can I tell you something about holiness? It's God's character. In, in Peter it says, and he's, he's quoting the Old Testament, he says, be holy for I am holy. Talking about the Lord. It is the character of God. You cannot talk about God and not talk about holiness. It is who he is is and God has called you to be holy oh I know that's not popular preaching pastor I want you to talk about how God's going to bless me not what God requires of me look at this verse uh, verse 2 says for you know what instructions we gave you through the Lord Jesus for this is the will of God look at this your sanctification or your holiness okay uh, and that's not a title to you, but he's talking about your sanctification or that dredging process uh, that you abstain. Everyone say abstain. That's a fancy word for don't do it from sexual immorality. Now, that's quiet now. Verse 4, that each one of you know how c to control his own body in what? In, oh, in holiness. And what? Oh, this is good stuff. Verse 5, not in the passion of lust like the Gentiles who do not know God. Everyone look at your neighbor and say, buckle up. Here we go. Buckle up. Hey, and if I step on your toes tonight, don't get mad at me. Uh, listen, I am just going to throw it out there tonight, all right? Hey, how many know that pastor loves you? If I didn't love you, I wouldn't, I wouldn't tell you the truth. And as a, as a shepherd, I have to tell you what the word of God says because it is the final word. Whether it agrees with me or doesn't agree with me, whether it d deals with my philosophy or the culture of today, it doesn't matter. God, God, it, God, God has, is, and will be. He is eternal, okay? So his word is eternal. So in this chapter, Paul deals with the issue of love. And this is what he says about love. Your love is, is not to be lustful, sensual, or immoral, but pure. So, uh, so what you need to know about the church in Thessalonica is they were a young church, and he's addressing something that had, had come up uh, among them, and, and so they don't fall into immorality, immorality of the world surrounding them because 
at that time, a major problem in the early church in that area because they were part of the uh, Macedonia or, or Greece, and, and it was ruled by Rome. But there was pagan religions that promoted and condoned sexual immorality. Can I tell you, we live in a very similar world today that celebrates sexual immorality. Turn on your TV. Matter of fact, if you turn on your TV and you watch a show that may cause you to lust or cause you to, to have some sexual immorality, you need to turn it off. Say, why is that, Pastor? Why is that? Because things that they make are based off of ratings. And the more people watch them, the more that they'll keep making those things. I'm getting down to where the rubber met the road. I'm sorry. All right. I know this sounds way too old-fashioned in here tonight, doesn't it? But I believe God is elevating us. God is taking us somewhere. So that was one of the major problems. So what is sexual immorality? So the Greek word for that is porneia, where we get the English word for pornography. It is a broad term, okay? Porneia in the Greek is a broad term that covers many illicit sexual activities. All right, I'm going to give you a list of these. Sexual immorality is not, and, and this is what you need to know. Sexual immorality or pornea, as it, as it stated in the Greek, is, is not just a sin against God, but it says this in 1 Corinthians 6.18, it is a sin against one's own body. So you're not just sinning against God, but you're sinning against yourself. So sexual intercourse Outside of your marriage covenant is the only sin where we become one with another. How many are with me? Say, Pastor, I'm with you. All right, here's this list. Are you ready for this? Lust. Number one, lust. Lust. Lust can be defined as this, a strong desire for anything. But in this context, we're talking about sexual definition, which is a strong desire for illicit sex or sexual activities. And the thing about lust is this, and all of these sexual immoralities that I'm going to talk to you about, they start in one place, with your eyes. Oh, be careful, little eyes, what you see. Because what comes in, comes out. All right, so sexual immorality uh, uh, is, is, is uh, so lust, I'm sorry, I'm on lust. So lust is forbidden because it gives birth to sin, and sin leads to what? For the wages of sin is lust births sin, sin births death. Okay, you guys following me? Look at this, Matthew 5.28 says this. And this is Jesus, but I say to you that everyone who looks at a woman with lustful intent has already committed adultery in their heart. I know this is, this is some strong, strong, strong teaching, right? And Jesus would say that, listen, we have got to, as the people of God, we've got to learn to control what our eyes see. I know this world is rampant. Our, our world glorifies uh, sexual immorality. It does. You can watch commercials on TV and go, whoa, 
right? But here's some verses. If you want to write down these verses, these, these deal with lust. Matthew 5, 28, which is what I just read. Romans 13, 13. James 1, 14 and 15. 1 Peter 4, 3. I can repeat those. Matthew 5, 28. Romans 13, 13. James 1, 14 and 15. 1 Peter 4 and 3. Here's the next one. Here's the next area that that porneo, that word covers is this. Adultery. Now, the, the last ones, the last few that I'm going to talk about start with the first one. Adultery starts with lust, okay? It does. So adultery here, adultery is, is, is this, it's extramarital sex. When you're, when you're having immoral sex with someone outside of the confines and the covenant of Marriage, someone that you're not married to, okay? And, and that is it. So it is strictly condemned in the Scripture. It is one of the Ten Commandments and is taken very seriously. Matter of fact, in the Old Testament, if you committed adultery, it was punishable by death. Proverbs says this, that it destroys the guilty party's soul. And here's a couple of verses that you can look up and you can write this on adultery. Exodus 20:14, Leviticus 20:10. Those are two verses that you can do. Here's the next one. And, and some of these, you, you, you may be like, what in the world? Like, I never even thought about these things. But listen, you better just get your stomach ready because some of these are pretty rough. Here's the next one. Incest. Incest starts with lust. Sex with close relatives other than your spouse is prohibited, according to Scripture. It's addressed in the Old Testament, and it's addressed in the New Testament. Leviticus 18, 6 through 18. Uh, Leviticus 20, 11, 12, and 17. Deuteronomy 27, 20, 22, and 23 deals with that. And here's the problem is this, you know. Um, and maybe you're here, and maybe you were a victim of incest, and maybe you were, maybe you were hurt by somebody. Let, let me tell you something. That was not your fault. I'm going to get into some of that. I told you, we're, we're, we're delving deep today. Incest is, is, is one. Here's another one, okay? Homosexuality, sex with another person of one's own gender. This is what the scripture says about it. It is an abomination. I don't care what the culture says. Remember when God created man and woman, he said, let us make them in our, he, he made man and woman. There was a reason. And see, and see, that's how the enemy is. He, he comes to distort. He comes to confuse, to cause confusion in people. And see, and the scripture says it is an abomination. But I want you to look at that carefully. It is abomination is talking about homosexual homosexuality. The act of homosexuality is the abomination, not the person. And it's, it, so it's real easy. And this is mentioned in the Old Testament, and this is mentioned in the New Testament. You need scriptures. Leviticus 18, 22. Leviticus 20, 13. Romans 1, 26 and 27. Uh, 1 Corinthians 6, 9. 1 Timothy 1, 10. I know. 
I know, this is tough. And this may be, this may be tough for you. And maybe you know someone. Listen, I have family that, that and listen, and here's how good God is. I have family that were homosexuals at one point, and God delivered them, and God saved them, and God restored their marriage. I've seen it with my, with my own eyes. And let me tell you something. You ought to pray for people that are dealing with that. All right, here's the next one. Listen, it doesn't say don't love them. You can love on them. You can love them and tell them the truth. You can love them and tell the truth. Sometimes when I'm getting on to my kids and I'm telling them something, I'm telling them in love because I want them to know the truth. Sometimes we just got to be real and what we know what the, what the Bible says. Here's the next one. Bestiality. Sex with an animal. Whoa, pastor, that, I didn't know you were going to go that far. And this behavior, like others, was outlawed in the Bible and punishable by death. How does someone even get to that point? Lust in your heart. Exodus 22, 19, Leviticus 18, 23, 20, Leviticus 20, 15, uh, 16, and then also Deuteronomy 27, 21. So, so Paul is telling this, do not participate in sexual activities outside of marriage. These things, here's the list. You want to love your neighbor, love your neighbor in the right way. Love them enough. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to get to a point here in a minute. Uh, it, it says this, the scripture in First, uh, First Corinthians 6, 18 through 20 says, The body is the temple and should be honored and kept holy, not defiled. So in other words, our passion for sexual purity, listen, you ought to write this down. Our, our, our passion for sexual purity should surpass our passion of this world or our own lust. Lord, I want to be pure for you. It's more important than my own desires or what the world says. So how do we combat sexual immorality? Here you go. You ready for this? You can write these scriptures down. By hiding, listen, here's number one. By hiding God's word in our heart and living according to it. Psalm 119, verse 9, verse 11. Number two, by making the conscious choice not to lust. I'm making the conscious choice not to lust. Hey, I, I'm not going to allow that thought to take to, to land. I'm just going to skip right on over it. Job 31 1 says, I have made a covenant with my eyes. God, I'm going to make sure that the things that I'm seeing are pure, Lord. I'm not going to do that. I'm not going to do what the world says. The world says, watch this movie. I don't need to watch that movie because I don't need that inside of me. I want to be a pure vessel. Look at this. By walking under the control of the Holy Spirit, that's, that's one of the best ones you can do right there. Galatians uh, 5, 16 through 25, and here's the last one. By fleeing sexual temptation and pursuing righteousness. 2 Timothy 2, 22. Joseph, when he was being wooed by Potiphar's wife, he ran. He ran. We got to make up our mind as believers. Hey, I got to run from this. I got to run from this. I, I can't be tempted by this. Look at this verse 6. says this, that no one transgresses or, uh, and, and wrong his brother in this matter because the Lord is 
and avenger in all these things, as we told you beforehand and solemnly warned you, for God has not called us for impurity, but in what? Verse 6 says, transgress, in this version, the King James Version says, defrauds. That's what it is. And this is not talking about a business practice of defrauding somebody, but this is, this is talking about uh, defrauding someone in a sexual manner. A guy may say this, listen, and this is just an example. A guy might say this, and I'm glad that there's uh, mainly adults in here. He may say, hey, I want a piece of her. And when he says something like that, that's exactly what he is going to do if he, if he has sexual intimacy with that person outside of marriage because they, the, the, uh, one soul is taken to fulfill the lust of another. The two shall become. Physical intimacy is not two bodies expressing passion. It's the souls of two people being made one. I know, this is, this is weighty, right? This is pretty weighty. But listen, it's something that, that we need to be reminded of. And, and if it's done outside of marriage, people are transgressing or they're defrauding another. And what would have been, what would have been theirs to enjoy in the confines of marriage is being defrauded from them. And the, replication, uh, the replications of these go on and on and on and on and on. How many remember David? David had a moment with Bathsheba, right? He had a moment where he failed, where he, his eyes got him in trouble. He saw a woman. He said, I want that woman. Go get that woman. He was in a place where he should not have been. And so David, he had this trusted advisor, and his name is Hethithophel. That's really a hard name to say, okay? And, and he sided with Absalom, David's son. When Absalom went against David, you, you remember that story where he, he had a, a coup against David. Why? And why did, why did this guy side with Absalom? Because he, uh, here's the thing, uh, this guy was the brains behind all the political plans that David was doing in the kingdom. He, he was very important. But here's the thing, David might have asked, why, why is he, uh, that guy, A, I'll just call him A to make it easy on myself. A, you know, why is he siding with Absalom? Because he, he was, he's been with me. But here's the deal. If you do a little research on A, if you do a little research on that guy, you'll find out that he is the grandfather of Bathsheba. Pretty amazing. And David had defiled his granddaughter, or he had defrauded her. She was married to someone else. And he had defrauded her and her family. And year after year, he was probably simmering in himself finally a moment where he could act with Absalom. I can finally get revenge on David because he did this to my granddaughter. But look at this. Numbers 32, 23 says, be sure that your sins will find you out. Can I tell you something? It's not God's will to find you out. It's not God's will to find you out. You, what will find you out? Your, your what? 
we, uh, listen, when we accept Jesus, his blood covers our sins, and it washes us white as snow. Amen. How many are happy about that? How many have made past mistakes? How many have made, made mistakes and say, the Lord has saved me, the Lord has brought me out, he has purified me. But here's the case. In this case, uh, God, God does not track us down, but our sins do. In this case, if you've defrauded someone sexually, you'll reap a crop of destruction. It may be immediately or it may be decades down the road. You may not realize it. Say, oh, man, Pastor, this, this is so deep tonight. Well, take it up with the Lord. Here's the thing. No one gets away with sin. Ask David. No one gets away with sin. You, you say, ah. I knew I was justified for being angry with the person who transgressed against me or someone who transgressed against my spouse or, or someone that I knew. I, I can't forgive them. I knew I was justified to do that. Well, look what happened to this, this guy. <laughs> yeah, the fell, okay? What happened to him? In 2 Samuel 17, 23, he hanged himself. No matter how great the sin, listen, listen to me. And why am I telling you all this story? No matter how great the sin, I must be the one who doesn't commit the greater sin of bitterness. Whew. I know this, man, we're, this, this is heavy hitting, right? This is heavy hitting. And in his bitterness, this guy, A, he advised Absalom into war. And look at this, 20,000 Men would die in the coup of Absalom to David's kingdom, including this guy. And we, and we can't get in the sin of bitterness with our boss, with our spouse, spouse with our kids, and, and, or we'll end up hanged with unforgiveness. Look at this. It will cause collateral damage to not just us, but to others around us. Because of the decisions that we make. David sinned against Bathsheba. Ahithophel, I did it. Ahithophel sinned against David. I'm not justifying David's sin. But listen, you see this repercussion, this thing that is happening here? It just is going on and on and on. So for the wages of sin is what? Death. And maybe you've sinned or maybe you transgressed against someone sexually in an immoral way. And I believe that God, if you, if you haven't asked God to forgive you, you ought to ask God to forgive you. And maybe you've sinned and maybe you've, you've blown it. But can I tell you, God has grace for you. Maybe you hurt someone. God has grace for you. And maybe someone has hurt you. God has grace for you. All we have to do is this. We have to confess. God, I failed. I failed. God, I confess my sins. God, can you take this from me? And, Lord, here's the thing. Use my scars from my mistake to draw others to the grace of God. You remember the story of, of Thomas, doubting Thomas. He had to touch the scars. He wanted to, to look at the scars, the nail prints in Jesus' hand. And Jesus used his scars that day to, to prove to Thomas the reality of the resurrection. So, too, can the scars of sexual immorality and bitterness be a witness to God's grace in your life. By loving our neighbor, we will not defraud or transgress against them with sexual immorality. But, um, and here's the thing, rejecting, listen, this is, a, this is a great statement. Rejecting holiness is rejecting God. 
That's God's character. It's who he is. And, 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 and the ministry of the Holy Spirit within us. So look at this, verse 8. Therefore, whoever disregards, okay, all right, you ought to underline this. You can, you can you circle this so you don't get mad at pastor. Therefore, whoever disregards this, disregards not man, but who? But who? Not man, but who? Who gives his Holy Spirit to you. Don't kill the messenger. Paul says this, uh, the one who, who does not adhere or refuses to, uh, to this word is not rejecting Paul's teaching, and it's not rejecting my teaching. They're rejecting God. I know this is a somber word. They, they reject God. Strong words, but a, but a great reminder to us as Christians, to young Christians and to old Christians alike, that's a great reminder to me. Verse 9, now concerning brotherly love. Everyone say, whoo, brotherly love. Let's move to some brotherly love, right? All right? You have no need for anyone to write to you, for you yourselves have been taught by God to love one another. Verse 10, for that indeed is what you're doing to all the brothers uh, throughout Macedonia, but we, uh, but we urge you, brothers, to do this more and more. Everyone say more and more. Verse 11, <clears throat> all right, you can circle this for your kids. And aspire to live quietly. You notice they didn't make a sign of that at, at, at Hobby Lobby, right, to hang in your house. And Paul's saying this, you are doing it, guys. You are loving God, and you're loving others. You guys are doing that, and, and, and you were taught it, and, and, and you not only were you taught it, but you were taught it from the Lord, and you're doing it, not just head knowledge, but you're doing it in action. I love this. Not, uh, not just there, but throughout Macedonia, oh, how great it would be for our church to be a place where people would say, man, there is, it's not just happening in Bedford, but look at this. That church is doing something. Southern Indiana is paying attention. The state of, the region is, is paying attention because God is doing something in this place by us loving God and loving one another. Amen. The second part of that says, and aspire to be, to live quietly. And most of us have a difficult time following this little admonishment of living quietly. Winston Churchill told the story of a man who was always chattering and talking, and he, he, told, uh, he said, Sir Winston, I, I, I haven't told you about my grandchildren yet. And Churchill answered, and for that I am deeply grateful. You ever been around someone just chatter, 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 talk, 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 and you're like, enough. It's okay to be a con conversationalist, but listen, but we shouldn't be chatty. We should study to be quiet. Sometimes just, that's a hard one for me. Anybody have a hard time biting your tongue sometimes in conversation? Not everything I think needs to be said. I didn't get very many amens on that one. Look at this. And to mind your own affairs. Oh, okay. Don't all that. Oh, man. And aspire to, to live quietly and to mind your own affairs and to work with your hands as we instructed you so that you may walk properly before outsiders and, and be dependent on no one. So he says this. If you're not quiet, chances are you'll be talking about other people's business. Yeah, man, Paul's just, he's got lots of great wisdom in this little <laughs> chapter, isn't it? So what is Paul's solution? Get busy with your hands. Find something to do. 
you know what, when I'm working, I can't talk about David because I'm worried about working. When I'm working, I can't talk about this David. <laughs> Is there any other Davids in here? If you're one who is prone to chatter, get to work. Find something practical to do. Because Paul, that's, hey, that's as practical as it can be right there. Hey, I have trouble talking about people. Get your hands busy. Get your mind busy. Uh, those busy running, listen to this. Those busy running others' affairs do not run their own affairs well. Look at this. A Christian home should be in order as a testimony to others. So you're, you're a believer and someone comes to your house and they're not a believer, they should look at your home and go, man, there's just love flowing in this house. Something going on in here. It's in order. I love this, but this concludes this teaching on, on loving in the present. And I, I know it's this is a very heavy chapter with strong warnings and strong direction and holiness. Listen, holiness is God's character. How many would say that? How many, how many would believe that? Hey, can you help me? Uh, 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 Kentley, can you help me on the on the keyboard real fast? Holiness is God's character, and we should strive to live in love for others by living holy and acceptable to the Lord. How many want to live holy and acceptable to the Lord? I don't want to just give God lip service. I want to do it. I don't, I don't want to do that. I don't want to just have lip service. So we have to be intentional about walking in purity, right? We ought to pray, God. I'm making a covenant with my eyes, God. I'm not gonna. I'm not gonna look at, at at the things that I shouldn't be seeing. God, I'm not gonna allow those things to take root within me. Will you bow your heads with me? I just wanna. I just wanna pray with you, um, just just for a moment. And and I know this was a very deep deep word. Uh, and just in this moment, can you just ask the Lord to search your heart? I want you to just ask the Lord to search your heart. And I was thinking about this song before I, I came. It's an old song. Some of you may know it. Some of you may not know it. It's okay if you don't know it. But the words of this song, I was just, as I was going over this lesson and reviewing this for tonight, can't help but say, God, maybe there's some things in me that I, that I need to change. And the reason that I opened in prayer tonight and asked God to soften our hearts because I knew this was a strong word. And I would just say tonight, I pray that you just ask the Holy Spirit to help you, to guide you. Maybe you're, maybe you're walking in, uh, uh, maybe you're, Maybe you're not struggling with lust. I, I don't know what your what your case is. Maybe maybe you are struggling with lust, but I know the God who can help you walk through that and give you victory over that. And I just want you to just take this moment. Can we just take just a few moments? I know I know we're past the hour, but just ask the Lord to just search us. And ask the Lord to just reveal things within us, to purify our hearts. Maybe, maybe say this, Lord, tonight I need to be poured out. 
so some of the things in my life can be filtered out, poured to the next vessel. More things in my life can be filtered out, poured to the next vessel. Change my heart, oh God. Make it ever true. It's a real simple song. Change my heart, oh God. May I be like you. Come on, sing that again. Change my heart, oh God. Change my heart, oh God. Make it ever true. Change my heart, oh God. May I be like you. Because you are the potter, I am the clay. Mold me and make me, this is what I pray. Come on, can you stand to your feet? Change my heart, oh God. Make it ever true. Change my heart, oh God. May I be like you. Come on, one more time. Can you lift your hands? Change my heart, oh God, oh, make it ever true. I told you it's an easy song. Change my heart, oh God, may I be like you. God, I thank you for this word tonight. God, I pray, Lord, that it just pierces our heart. God, may we be reminded of your love and your grace. God, you are a God who forgives sin. God, and we're grateful for that, Lord. God, I pray, Lord, that if there's any of these areas, Lord, that we're struggling in, God, I pray, Lord, that you would just reveal those to us, that your Holy Spirit would help us to walk in purity that you've called us to and holiness that you've called us to. And in the mighty name of Jesus, we pray. And everybody said... Amen. Thank you so much. Find